Hello and welcome to episode 201 of the 1099. As always, I'm your host, Joseph Noop, and as always, I'm glad you're here with us. So today's episode came about in a really peculiar, kind of funny way. Uh, One day I decided I want to interview someone from the Detective Pikachu movie, maybe a writer. And I started looking up the writers, uh, Dan Hernandez, Benji Summit, and uh, two others, and Nicole Perlman. And I tweeted out, like, hey guys, what's the difference between a screenwriter and someone who's credited as story by? Because I wanted to make sure I was asking the right person or persons uh, for this episode. And lo and behold, one of the <laughs> Detective Pikachu writers, Mr. Dan Hernandez, actually chimed in and said, oh, there's not that much difference, or, or it's not, it's sometimes they can be both. And I was like, well, this is fortuitous. Uh, hello, <laughs> uh, pleased to meet you. Um, would you please come on my small modest podcast and here we are uh so this week i interview yeah mr dan hernandez uh one of the core writers on detective pikachu along with his writing partner uh benji samitz uh benji did not actually join us um benji was uh preoccupied elsewhere and this episode kind of came about in a fairly ramshackle way some scheduling uh stuff went down relatively fast so a lot of like my questions are kind of off the cuff and everything but uh i I was pleased that at the end it seemed like dan had had a fun time and a meaningful time having this conversation and uh if you haven't seen detective pikachu uh go see it before listening to this we definitely spoil some stuff and i think that we had a really cool conversation we talk a lot about kind of the emotional beats behind uh this movie uh, a lot with like you know the character tim goodman played by justice smith and of course pikachu played by ryan reynolds and uh just kind of things that in my own life i'm 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 moving to los angeles very soon that i kind of connected with in this movie and um thankfully it feels like an episode that uh belongs to the 1099 i'll leave it at that so uh, as always, please remember to go support our uh, resident musician, Mr. Zach Buckley at ZWBuckley.com. Follow us on Twitter. Uh, and of course, go support Detective Pikachu. Let people know that, hey, you you like the movie if you did. And uh, here's the show. I am very, very honored and humbled and uh, excited to have Dan Hernandez, one of the writers behind Detective Pikachu, out now in theaters here with me on the show today. Dan, hey, hello. It's It's got to be a hell of a weekend for you. How you doing? It's been a wild weekend. Uh, I'm thrilled to be here. Uh, so happy that we were able to connect. But yeah, it's 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 been crazy between the premiere in New York last week and going to the movie theater last night here in Los Angeles uh, with, you know, all our friends to kind of celebrate the movie actually being in theaters and being able to see it on the, you know, the the box office, you know, signage at the movie theater is really a surreal feeling and, and one that I won't forget for a very long time. And I got to imagine, like, I I am a writer myself and I've I've been 
there like after a big long project that you're really proud of so uh, i'm sure you've got to be breathing a little easier now that it's out there and that it's uh, people seem to be really really enjoying it but how does it feel kind of like looking back on uh the whole the whole journey now that you're on the opposite side you know it, it was a, a two over a two-year journey from my first involvement along with my partner benji samet to now uh, the movie coming out in theaters and, you know, and there've just been so many things along the way where, you know, it's miraculous that any movie gets made. It really is just the amount of things that have to go right are, if you listed them out, you'd be like, Oh, well that's impossible. Certainly not all of those, those like very necessary factors could possibly all go in the, in the right direction. And that's what it feels like writing a movie and certainly getting them. This is the first movie I've written that's actually gotten made. You know, I, we've written quite a few movies, but for our first movie to be one that is at this scale and this international and this, you know, Pokemon is the biggest media franchise in the world, bigger than Star Wars, bigger than Marvel. So looking back on it, I'm just, I feel like a great sense of relief. And after having seen the movie now, like three or four times, I feel a lot of pride that people are really liking it. I feel proud that we're going neck and neck with Avengers Endgame, like the biggest movie ever. And, and you know, uh, we're not sure who's going to win the weekend yet, but it seems like we're going to be pretty damn close, if not, you know, taking it. And, it, and, and more than that, like the responses I've been getting on, on Twitter from people that I don't know, fans saying like, this is my dream come true for, for over 20 years. I've been, uh, you know, waiting to see these Pokemon in a live action setting or this exceeded what I ever could have dreamed or you made me feel like a kid again. You made me feel like I was 10 again. Like those are the moments that you really feel like, oh, th this is something that that is going to have an impact on a lot of people, especially young people. And and it makes all of the the kind of, you know, the the pain and and angst of the previous two years worth it. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned that the, you've got plenty of people talking to you, like saying like, hey, this is a, a dream come true of a movie. In my review, at least I wrote like, you know, what, what do we think about when uh, uh, we talk about like a good video game movie? Uh, and Pokemon is certainly more than like a, a simply a video game. It's, you know, several shows. It is the card game. It is the video games. It is everything. But uh, to me, yeah, the movie uh very strongly captured that same sense of like wonder and awe of like leaving your hometown and uh going on this journey in a world where like you know it, it makes sense that a a pokemon is like manning the bar or like a a, a pokemon is manning a street corner directing traffic or something so uh, i'm super curious though about um your background itself did you i can only assume that you grew up pretty close to the pokemon ph uh, phenomenon right i i grew up um very close to it i i would say that i was probably about two years too old to have been in the true thick of the craze when it first came out i was maybe 13 or 14 and if i had been 11 or 10 i i think it would have been you know, my entire life. Um, but luckily I was a huge dork. <laughs> and so over the years, I, you know, I grew up with it and it, and it was, you know, Gen Y, I start starting with Gen 1 and, you know, or the first generation of, of the Pokemon, you know, the kind of the classic characters. 
many of whom are in the movie. And you kind of stay abreast of it for many years. If you're a fan of genre, if you're a fan of Japanese culture, which, which I am, you know, I, I took two years of Japanese in college. I was, Hey, me too. I was maybe the worst student of Japanese in the history of Brown University, which is where I went to college. <laughs> I took it pass or fail, and they should have failed me. They fully should have failed me. Um, I, I I was definitely there too. I that was the absolute worst. I took it not only like in college, but my last two years of college because I was like a community uh, community college transfer, and I didn't have like any Spanish uh, classes from high school to qualify for those credits. So like senior project plus learning Japanese uh, was absolutely crap. Crazy. So yeah, I at least was smart enough after my sophomore year to say, you know what, I don't I don't think I have what it takes to do this. <laughs> Um, but I met a lot of my friends and, you know, through those friends, you know, we would watch really classic animes like Ronnie Kenshin and, and, you know, other stuff. So I, I've always been, you know, or, or get into classic manga, like Lone Wolf and Cub is probably my favorite of the, you know, the classic manga Akira, of course. And so I felt like coming into it, I had a pretty robust knowledge of Pokemon, of, you know, genre stuff, Japanese culture. Um, and it was something that, that I felt really excited to write and try to, to draw out the, the things that I found the most exciting about Pokemon and, and, and trying to sort of articulate that for not only the, the huge fans who've been waiting for this movie, but also people like my mom or people like my wife who know nothing about Pokemon and also, have to have a good time at the movies and based on the response so far anecdotally it seems like it seems like people who see the movie are really loving it and more than the reviews more than waiting to be like what's the atlantic gonna say and by the way the atlantic gave us a good review so thank you david sims in the atlantic but you know it, it's it, you sort of start to realize like actually it's really like how people react to it emotionally and 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 if it makes an impact on them and sort of changes the way they're thinking. And, and that, that's been super rewarding. And it does seem like that's been the case so far. And it seems like Pokemon itself never would have um, like taken off in any meaningful way if there wasn't some sort of uh, emotional core. Uh, I guess early on it would have been, you could have really condensed it down to uh, you're, you're a young kid who wants to go explore the world and you want your best friend, this like cuddly creature by your side. Uh, but in the movie itself too, I was really struck by like almost that, that first like 10, 15, 20 minutes where, uh, we Pokemon are almost kind of like all backgrounds. Uh, they, they are merely just a part of this world and that makes them feel like a, like a fleshed out thing that I could believe in, in this universe. But then, uh, characters like Tim Goodman played by justice Smith with like him, his acting plus the script really managed to pull out a strong emotional core. You know, this, this story about, uh, this young kid whose dad like dove into his work and effectively abandoned him. And even though we're talking to Ken Watanabe while a giant pink mm -hmm. pit bull is sitting next to him, I felt, I felt like, yeah, this is a kid with real emotional damage. And I could see, uh, like, I, I certainly didn't have any kind of uh, trauma like that in my life, but I could see like, if a, if a kid, you know, fell into a game like Pokemon to kind of escape from something like that, 
uh, he he would see he would once again he or she would once again see themselves in something like that. And I thought that that was really special. Well, a, a couple things. I think that you touched on something that that I, I think is right, and maybe was. I think it was always there, but I don't know if I could have articulated it before seeing some of the response and and talking to a few people, which is that there is an interesting sort of meta textual journey, which is many of the people coming to this movie were once obsessed with Pokemon when in their real lives, um, you know, dedicated to it. And then as you get older, you, you, you move away from some of these things and you kind of forget that feeling of, of being inside of a fandom. And, and I, you know, I, and I try to separate, like, of course, you know, there's a commercial element to all this, but I do think that that's somewhat independent from the emotional feeling that you get when you look at something that you really cared about. And it's like, yes, they want to make money. They want you to buy the products. But at the same time, that that's, that's not, that doesn't lessen your sort of emotional reaction to seeing something that you really cared about once. And so Tim goes on this journey of someone who really did love Pokemon, uh, who goes away from them for various reasons. And then by the end, he's come back to them and he's realized like, this is a really important part of his life and something that he does want to be a part of his life. And so the journey of the viewer is in many ways similar to that of Tim's journey. And so that was something that was very much embedded into the movie that, that only watching it over and over again, do I realize that that's what was kind of going on in my mind and in some of the other people making the movies minds that it, that it, that it was there all along. Not to make myself sound smarter than I am, but I'm going to make <laughs> myself sound smarter than I am. Um, <laughs> and, you know, as far as like the, the Pokemon in the background, that was something that I felt very passionately about and very certain about that. I think that there is a tendency in movies and, and, and certain kinds of, you know, media to handhold a little bit too much to kind of overcompensate with, okay, we need to explain like every aspect of this thing before the audience can enjoy it. And I've always been of the opinion that that's actually not the case. If you and, and the example that I've been using um, when I've been talking to people is is Star Wars, specifically the most Eisley Cantina. When Luke Scott, you, you know what I'm talking about when Luke walks into the cantina and tattoo on Tatooine for the first time, and you know Finger and Dan and the modal nodes are playing jizz music, and like all these different guys just kind of turn around there's like a sequence of guys turning around and there's all these different aliens and they're all going about their own business and no one's backstory is explained it's not even explained like why there are so many aliens and and who but it's all it's all instantly communicated like what kind of of like establishment this is and what kind of the what these kinds of people are and like luke's place in a in a place like this that, yeah. that's exactly right They're, they are like what's this kid doing here you know what i don't really care <laughs> whatever i'm going back to what i'm doing <laughs> which is yeah. so interesting and it's like a really kind of a bold choice actually and it made a huge impact on me as a young, you know as a young person and as a result there's this sequence in in pokemon detective pikachu where that's one of my two, one of two of my favorite scenes in the movie where he gets off the train in Rhyme City 
and you are hit in the face with a fully bustling city at rush hour. Pokemon everywhere. There are actually too many Pokemon to even clock on a single viewing. It's so overwhelming. And none of them are concerned about what Tim Goodman is up to. None of them are, are, are you know, there's banker guys going about their business and businessmen and, you know, construction workers and just the, the hustle and bustle of this city. And I think that by not explaining that too much or by not making it seem anything other than mundane. And I don't mean it's, you know, of course it's not boring, but it is commonplace. It's every day. This is the world that they live in. And the audience basically has to kind of get on board with that. I love that. I think that that's a more challenging viewing experience, but ultimately a more rewarding one because if you want to go and, you know, get into the deep lore of who are all these characters and what are all these individual Pokemon, you can go on Bulbapedia or buy a Pokedex and do that. And if you want to have a more casual experience, you can do that too. You know, I tend to be the guy who's like deep diving everything. And I always have been that person. And and maybe that's one of the things that made me suited to write a movie like this, because I really try to learn who are these people? What are they doing? What are the jobs that these Pokemon would be doing? Are Squirtles firemen? You know, and that's of course in the part in the anime, but you know, it was a lot of fun to, to, to like write the, the sort of the, the, the infrastructure of this world in a, in a very matter of fact way. I, I, I thought of that, that kind of uh, way of thinking too. Like when we see uh Machamp uh, directing traffic and, uh, just it of course it makes sense like here's this very authoritative pokemon who just like literally chiseled stone uh you know very very like baseline handsome kind of thing uh and of course like snorlax is causing this traffic jam but you know and and we talk about like deep dives on pokemon and uh, aside from the obvious one of of pikachu in this movie uh psyduck like really stuck out to me and i know you've been talking on on twitter and elsewhere uh, about your your thoughts and connection with Psyduck. Tell me why why was Psyduck this huge role in the movie? And I, I gotta imagine maybe does a part of you identify with Psyduck? Well, I, I made the joke that that Psyduck should be the patron saint of writers because yeah. he he and you probably will relate to this, but he you know he carries a lot, around a lot of psychic stress. He's trying to stay calm, but he's it's just not working. And then eventually he has, uh, you know, an, an extreme psychic explosion that is deadly to everyone. And I think that that is sort of, you know, at least in my experience, uh, very much mirroring the experience of, of like hanging out with writers, neurotic, difficult, anxious writers. Um, so I've always loved Psyduck. It's always been my favorite Pokemon. Um, I think the way that he's used in the anime is very funny. But I thought one of the first things that my partner Benji and I pitched when we started working on this movie is we said, look, Psyduck is hilarious. We want him to be the comedic breakout character of this movie. And that never really changed from the first day of us working on this movie. And, Part of the reason that we felt strongly about it is Benji and I come from a comedy writing background. You know, we worked on shows like 1600 Pen, Super Fun Night, 
Uh, we did three years on One Day at a Time on Netflix, the, you know, the remake of One Day at a Time, and we worked on The Tick. And what you start to realize over time is that when you have characters that have a very strong comedic point of view or a very strong like neurotic behavior, it's much easier to write them and much easier to identify with them because as an audience, you're able to start to anticipate the kinds of things that they will do. Like if you watch, I don't know, Larry David on, on Curb Your Enthusiasm, if you watch yeah. that show enough, there are certain circumstances where, you know, like a waiter is rude to him or a valet or a, or a cop or whatever. It gets to the point where you're like, oh, well, I know how Larry is going to react to this based on his neurotic behaviors and his yeah. point of view. We felt like the Pokemon that really needed to be in this first movie had a similar quality. That's Psyduck. That's Mr. Mime. There's a very clear comedic game, a very clear um, sort of emotional core to those characters uh, that that made them a lot of fun to write. And I'm really very gratified that, you know, people are really seeming to respond to Psyduck because I feel a lot of personal, I don't know, like he's like my, my, my little guy uh, that, that, you know, he's, he's, he's finally coming into his own and that, and that, that makes me happy. He's, he's the Pokemon who like you spend your 80 hours crunching and leveling him up while like everyone else stays at like level five or something like that. <laughs> that that's exactly right. He's, you know, he's, he's, there was something about using these Pokemon that other people have, you know, understandably said, well, oh, he's, he's the worst. Oh, he's so useless. You know, Psyduck, Mr. Mime, Magikarp. Each of those characters have really big moments in the movie. And we thought that there was something really interesting to saying, you know what, something that you think is useless, maybe it isn't. Maybe there is value to that thing. And the process of exploring that can make you yourself a richer, deeper person. Um, and that's certainly the journey that the main character, Tim, goes on, I think, through these different experiences. Yeah, no, and I I, I suppose, like, I can understand uh, in part, like, why Tim feel so the thing that stuck out to me the most early on in the movie anyway aside from like the really well done like detective noir tropes that were you know getting cycled through uh like in the in the opening scenes tim is with his buddy wearing a red hat so i'll just call him red uh and they're talking about like his his small town job at like the insurance uh company and of course, Red, you know, is is bugging him about like, you know, you should really catch your own first Pokemon and everything like that. And like for me, I, I I'm moving to Los Angeles at the uh, beginning of June, actually. <laughs> welcome, and welcome. Is, yes, thank you, thank you. I'm I'm getting mimosas with the voice actress behind Wonder Woman. Please come join us. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, like, and I saw Detective Pikachu with my with one of my best friends in the entire world, and. Uh, like I, I'm here currently in my hometown and I've been here uh, for the most part, like after college when I graduated in like 2015. And so like, you know, a part of me is very conflicted about like, man, I'm going to be leaving like my best buddy uh, and a lot of other friends that I really value, but I've got to go do this. I've got to go out into the world because otherwise, you know, uh, I, I could turn 27 years old and still uh, not have made as much progress as I would like to. And seeing Tim and his buddy kind of go back and forth about like the, the 
quintessential getting out of your town experience really kind of stuck me in the heart because I, I felt that. And I think that that's also a really core concept of every core Pokemon game is, you know, hey, it's your 12th birthday or whatever. Uh, you know, you're finally ready to like get out there in the world and like get on with this adventure. So uh, anything, did anything like that, did that kind of come from a personal place for you too? Or was that just kind of a more because it was a general uh, trope of Pokemon? No, that, that was something that, that um, came from personal experience. I think both for Benji, I, I know uh, that particular scene we, we worked on with Rob Letterman, the director, um, you know, he had a, a lot of, thoughts about that. And, and the three of us really felt that it was important to see what normal at what, what we'll call every town life was in this fantastical world and, and how that felt. And it did seem to mirror really anyone that undertakes something that's difficult, something that isn't convenient, whether that's trying to be a writer or a podcast host or a visual artist or saying, you know, I'm going to be the, you know, I live in a small town in, in whatever Florida and I'm going to move to New York and be the, you know, the greatest eye banker of all time. There's, you know, everything is hard and it's very easy to stay in your particular kind of safe zone. But I think that so often the greatest reward lies in, in taking a risk and trying to do something that's hard. You know, it's, it, there's never a convenient time to do something that's hard. That's what my dad always used to say. It's like, well, there's never a great time to move across the country. There's never a perfect moment to buy a house or have a baby or get married. You know, that's just not a thing that exists. And so Tim in the movie because of, you know, his own legitimate issues with his dad, with his family situation, with his mom dying. He kind of is that guy that, that got stuck. He got stuck in that moment. And it's not a horrible existence, but if you feel like you're capable of more, it can be a very frustrating existence. And I've certainly felt that way in my life. I'm from Coral Springs, Florida. It's a great place to grow up. It's a, it's a wonderful suburban community not far from Fort Lauderdale and Miami but you know when we were writing those sequences we really wanted to capture that feeling of like the world is going on just beyond the horizon and I'm not a part of it and that sadness I think is compounded in this case because you live in a world of literal magical creatures you know the world is so much more wondrous in in the land of pokemon than than it is in our own and you're missing it and i you know and and so it is that push pull of like well this is the thing that i know but just over the horizon there could be something even better but i've got to find the sort of the strength within myself to go and do it and in the case of the movie he gets a push from an external force, but you know, that's what he needed. And so, yeah, so that I, 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 I'm glad that that resonated emotionally because it was something that we talked about, you know, a pretty extensive amount. And you know, it's funny that we talk about like, like personal journeys, you and uh, Benji, you graduated both from uh, Brown university together. 
and you've essentially been like writing partners uh, seems like the entire time since uh like on 1600 pin the tick and and the others uh that's not i'm sure that happens plenty often but like i think i at least i haven't paid attention to enough writers in the industry to to wonder about that maybe like directors being duos but what is it like working as a story uh as a duo like that you know i i think that having a partner is is not for everyone and i think that part of the reason not just because you have to split your money with that person but that that is a good reason it it's not it's not for everyone but um but it, it does require a certain amount of i don't know like psychic simpatico where at this point in time benji and i have been writing together 13 years i think and over the course of 13 years we just know each other's taste we know the kinds of scenes that we're going to write we know how we're going to react to a given situation we both know very delineate in a very delineated way you know what are our strengths what are our weaknesses um, I tend to be maybe a more volatile personality in the sense that like I'll have big swings of sadness or big swings of excitement and then, you know, anger. And then five minutes later, I'll be like, why was I so angry? And I think that Benji is a much more organized mind. He's, 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 a, he's just very steady. He looks at things very analytically and, we complement each other in a really great way. And we, and we, and we have been writing together, you know, since our senior year of college. So we really, you know, there's not much that, that I could do that would really surprise him and vice versa. And so when we're writing together, because we have that implicit trust built over the course of many years, I don't care if he, you know, I'll write a a joke that I think is an amazing joke and he'll cut it. And I really, at this point in time, don't question it. I very rarely am I like, no, I want to put that joke back because I think to myself, well, you know what? If Benji cut that joke, then it probably wasn't good enough. It probably didn't make the cut. And, 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 you know, and, and the other way around, you know, if Benji writes something that I'm like, oh, actually, I, you know, this doesn't work for whatever reason, there's no ego involved at this point in time, it really is just about trying to work, you know, symbiotically to create this product. So we, we've been very fortunate in the sense that, you know, we've been going strong and, and I would say the other thing is a lot of, you know, this is our first produced movie, but Benji the other day checked back in our archives and we've actually written 17 movies. Oh, wow. So if you think about it, that's thousands and thousands of pages that no one will ever see. And that's, you know, there is a certain sadness. And by the way, I wouldn't want most people, anyone, in fact, to see 16 of those scripts. (laughs) But, But I think the reason it's relevant is sometimes for a writer like the training period is is a very anonymous training period that is done in solitude that's done in the middle of the night that's that's done in fact by like writing things that aren't that good and each time setting out to write something that's a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better and sort of getting those reps in and 
So while it may seem like, you know, in, at least in movies, it's like an overnight success since, you know, I, I would venture to guess that very few people's first movie is something on the scale of Pokemon, especially, you know, uh, you know, being the writers in the first position and on the there's screen. Always, there's always Sonic the Hedgehog. Don't, don't count out that one quite yet. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm, I'm, you know, I, I only wish Sonic the best. I, I really do. Um, but you know, it's, it, so it, it's, you know, this thing, this idea of like coming out of nowhere, you know, most of the time writers don't actually come out of nowhere because they've been, you know, toiling away in secret. And it's only once they, they break through that you see the result of that toil. I mean, you're a writer. You probably know what I mean. Yeah. Just, I mean, like it, it, I'm still sort of amazed at the paths of some writers and also how, uh, the the very hidden especially because like so many of us now work from home and not necessarily like like i'm games media and maybe it's a little different for you because you're a script writer and you probably work maybe perhaps a majority from from home or or a a cell-phoned office uh but like news writers or media writers were working more and more from home and so like i surprised one of my bosses uh the other day at daily dot i I was pitching some sort of like opinion piece about a th- a, a, some trend in games or whatever. I, I felt very personally haughty about it. Uh, and then he's like, oh, okay, do you have like, do you have background in that kind of writing? Like you've been working for us for a year, but I just, I just don't know if I've seen that from you. And I was like, Oh, here, here's this, like uh, this PC gamer piece that I wrote um, about Stardew Valley. And when I got like really sick a couple years ago and uh arguably like my most personal writing he's like oh shit <laughs> you've been working for me in for a year and i never knew you had this like lifelong chronic illness uh uh how how are you and i'm like this is this is amusing now that like we're just now having this conversation and like you're just now learning a little bit more about like how i'm approaching my work day in day out because of like the experiences i've i've led yeah well, that, that, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And, and, and first of all, I had a subscription to PC Gamer for Hell yeah. over a decade. Uh, it only laughs when I went to college. Um, second of all, I put in some time on Stardew Valley, so I'm very interested in, in you know, that part of your experience. Um, and third of all, you were ready. You know, you were ready when, when this opportunity came up. You were like, actually, I've already – pre-done the work it's already done all i need is the opportunity and 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 that's how i have felt many times in my career where yes there's a convergence of luck and circumstance that has to occur in order to get these opportunities but you kind of have to be ready to go actually i've been preparing for this for years and you know if you give me the ball i'll run with it um so i i think you should feel proud of, of, of that and, and that path. Um, you know, I, I have to say Stardew Valley, it's like, you ever play a game where you're like, I wish I was better at this, but I'm just, and I'm just never going to have the, the, like whatever that brain thing is. I just, I don't have it. I, I'm really stuck on Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. And I'm, I'm probably like, eight tenths of the way done I, I don't have that much left but like there's a few bosses that just are annihilating me and i love 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 even even though i haven't been like much of a dark souls person prior to that i do love the way that that uh development team like builds a world and tells a story in very 
painterly but interpretive ways like you can you can put a lot of your own interpretations to things or you can miss things that like dramatically recontextualize everything but uh i am just yeah i am just not good at that game by any stretch of the imagination dark souls is a perfect example for me because i have a friend who is obsessive about those games uh my friend john he just loves them and i installed dark souls i bought you know complete edition on steam or whatever and i played it for about an hour and i was like you know what life is too short for this I don't, I know that I'm never going to be good at this. And as much as I like wish that I had that, or I wish that I had like, God, how many hours did I put into Dota? And, and just, I just was never good at it. I loved it, but I was just bad at it. And yet in college, I could show up to some dorm room, absolutely wasted, unable to stand or see practically and just destroy people at Halo absolutely destroy them it's it's almost like it's like i i don't want it to just be like i'm good at like you know you know first person shooters but like i think that maybe that's just like my destiny i don't i don't i didn't ask for this gift but i have it (laughs) i uh you know let me ask you too about um so the craziest idea in this whole damn movie to me i like the, the first couple acts like lean really hard on classic detective tropes. And I love that, like uh, whether it was your choice or someone else's, they included that filthy angels fake movie from uh, home alone. I think that was, that was Rob Letterman, the director uh, put that in and uh, it's, uh, you know, it just kind of, just kind of stayed, you know, it's just such a funny thing. Uh, You know, many people have been commenting on it and, and uh, that's that's such a funny Easter egg. That, that's one of those ones where in five seconds it's communicated this is a hard-boiled noir thing uh, and i loved that but so the last act of the movie and i wrote about this in my daily dot review uh things get a little messy but i was i was like really fascinated by this like even out there for the pokemon universe concept of like humans kind of metaphysically swapping souls with Pokemon or like, or like implanting their soul and kind of sharing a form. It was, Oh my God, it's, it's get out, but for Pokemon. (laughs) Uh, uh, And tell me like, as you and Benji sort of worked through through the story and you wanted to like, you know, uh, eventually close all the arcs um, where, where did that idea come from? And like, uh what kinds of things were you trying to communicate about this world through that little that little nugget of lore building i suppose so it's that's a that's a really good question you know that that was an aspect of the movie that i would say changed a fair amount from the beginning of the process to the end in the sense that you know exactly how the the finale was going to play itself out there were a bunch of different ideas you know benji and i wrote quite a few things i think some of the other writers wrote a lot of different things and and you know it it sort of over time became clear that and this was something that benji and i felt strongly about that it did seem like in order to I, i don't know there was something about in order to closing the the circle on Howard Clifford, uh, you know, the bad guy's motivation, it did seem like 
some merging of humanity and Pokemon into a, you know, quote, next evolution had to happen. He himself is going on this journey. He has become, you know, obsessed with this idea and, and corrupted by this power. You know, I think he's kind of a sad character because I do think that his intentions were noble in the beginning when he founded the city. I, I really do. I don't think it was ever like he was a bad guy all along. This is just my opinion. But some people, some people said that they like some of those those arcs coming like Bill Nye you know, is classically like a, a bad guy kind of actor. But like, even for me, like, because of, because the story communicated that uh, Howard Clifford was this, this philanthropist and like really bu- built this like uh, utopian Pokemon city. Uh, I, I, I did, legi- I was legitimately like, oh, oh, he's the bad guy. Okay. Like he, he, there, were, there were surprises along the way where I'm like, okay, there were enough fake outs that I, I bought into this. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm glad to hear that. You know, I think that, that what we wanted to get at was this idea of evolution. And so, there, so to me, there was something about, for instance, Lucy and her Psyduck, she's kind of a neurotic, high strung yeah. person. You put her with the most neurotic, high strung Pokemon and their partnership makes a lot of sense. Yoshida and his Snubble are sort of mirroring behaviors in that first scene in a very funny way where Snubble is kind of like leaning forward at the same time as Ken Watanabe and you know that kind of stuff. And so there is actually a lot of mirroring that's going on in the movie that people may not have be like consciously aware of, but it, it's not until the end when Howard, you know, starts combining people into the, what he feels is like a more perfected version of life that you see some of those things start to, to come to fruition. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was something that we felt also, you know, I think that it was an homage to the anime and to some of the ideas of, you know, like the classical treat classical as if it were, you know, so ancient, but, you know, like the way that Mew 2 is classically depicted, he has these really extraordinary powers that, that are far beyond anyone else, godlike powers. And so we really wanted to convey that sense of if someone were able to access those powers, the limits of what is possible are, are, are boundless. And that was sort of the genesis of the Howard Mewtwo merging and then his ultimate plan on, on how to reshape Rhyme City even more into what his brain has now twisted into the sort of his taking this utopia and turning it into, you know, a dystopia. Yeah. I, I think too, perhaps in the end, when it's revealed that like Ryan Reynolds was actually, uh, right, well, Ryan Reynolds' character was uh, Tim's dad, and that he had been effectively like implanted inside uh, his his partner Pikachu. Uh, to me, in a way, that kind of said like, hey, if you've lost a parent or if like someone is gone from your life in some way, sometimes we like we ascribe this to me perhaps more like. Uh, uh, inanimate objects like you know the, the the baseball glove that your dad played with you or like uh your your mom's favorite thing um but like also too like pets or or friends you know m- memories live on through 
the other people or things in our lives. And to me, I feel like that was kind of what that was communicating uh, ultimately is that like, yeah, you, you, you have this like really uh, uh, meaningful connection, like pets take on the, the characteristics of their own, or that's a, a common old joke. Uh, but also uh, the trauma and the memories of people we care about uh, are also like living on in the things or people or pets around us, I suppose. A hundred percent. And, and that, that's the emotional core of, of everything. It really stems from that, you know, um, I think that this idea of having a second chance with someone that, that you think is gone mm. is a very powerful notion. And it's one that, you know, we've seen, play out in movies in really profound ways, not to reference Star Wars again, but my favorite moment in, uh, what's it called? Last Jedi mm-hmm. is when Luke Skywalker is talking to Leia and she says, you know, of Kylo, he, he my son is gone. And, and Luke just looks at her and said, no one is ever really gone. It's such a beautiful moment. Yeah, it's yeah. such a it's such a it's such a wonderfully simple expression of something that I, I, I feel is is profoundly true. And I'm so uh, envious of of Ryan Johnson for for being able to you know write something that stark and that beautiful. And, and so when we were working on this movie, we thought, well, you know, my parents, it's not the same as you know a father passing away, but or mother, my, my, my parents divorced when I was in fifth grade, you know, and I think that there's a lot of feelings of loss and processing and what is my relationship to my father? Can it ever, you know, I wish it had been a certain way, or I wish that we could have had this relationship. And in our own relationship, it's evolved over time. It's, you know, it's gone through really good moments and really bad moments and, and ultimately settled into an equilibrium of like, I'm glad this person is in my life. I'm glad I have this friendship and this love with this person. And and we felt that there was something like primally significant about you do have a second chance. And it's actually with this person that you've come to love and care about without even knowing that it was your dad because of who this person is. And, and sometimes I think as you get older, you can look back on things that your parents or your loved ones or your girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, whoever have done. And at the time it seems like such a unforgivable transgression, something that they've done. And then as you get a little older and you start to find yourself in circumstances that are more similar, you start to say, you know what? I understand why my dad made that choice or I understand why my mom got so angry about this thing one time or why, you know, my brother left home or whatever the case may be. And so I think that I I hope that part of what Tim is learning over the course of the movie is, is life is very difficult and everyone is faced with, with tough things that confront them. And you have to have a little bit of compassion when you're dealing with other people, as long as the person you're dealing with is, is, in their heart of hearts, like a good person, Mm. which I think detective Pikachu really, you know, proves to be in spite of the, you know, whatever difficulties in the way that they, you know, the inappropriate ways that he processed his grief and leaving his son, you know, he's a good person and he does love his son. And it's almost more significant 
that Tim is able to realize that even before it's revealed that it's his dad, because that love and that bond is, 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 you know, put in place through their, through their behaviors, through their actions. Sometimes it's more than what someone says they're going to do. It's what they actually do. And, and yeah, that, that me too when uh, Pikachu it, like after the, the like secret lab uh, area that he he's pushing Tim away again because he he realizes that he he hurts others around him but you know they 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 come full circle in the end so I I mean I I, I really appreciate that and uh, that, that that certainly I already wanted to see the movie twice but I definitely want to see it again now just to kind of hopefully like pick back up on a lot of those threads and I think I think ultimately that is what made this movie extra special and not just a nostalgia dump or a, a kid's CG fest. There is, there is an emotional core, the same kind of one that we find in, in Pokemon games. And uh, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll wrap up real quick here with uh, we'll, we'll end on a, on a happier, uh, more, more fun for the sake of fun note. Um, of course, it, this detective Pikachu is a major Hollywood film. Uh, and like all major Hollywood films, if it's successful, of course, it has to spawn a cinematic universe. I'm sure the Pokemon company and, and Warner Brothers and whoever uh, are are keeping any of their ideas under wraps. So, of course, you know, you don't have to tell me anything and you may or may not know anything. But I want to know, pie in the sky, as a writer, if you could create the Pokemon cinema, uh, cinematic universe, how would you do it? Well, you know, I, I, I know that there's a lot going on, you know, back at the base uh, that's addressing this exact question. So, you know, everything I'm saying is without any knowledge of, you know, what may happen or whatever. Uh, just is just me, me spitballing. But, um, you know, my joke answer has been I want to do Jigglypuff A Star is Born. um you know about jiggly's like futile futile journey to try to attain singing stardom but like you know going on american idol and and eurovision and you know just ultimately it's a track it is also still just a tragic love story with a jigglypuff um but you know i i would see that movie (laughs) but i i think my my real answer is I think the most important part of creating a cinematic universe is really creating characters that people care about Mm -hmm. more than any sort of artificial sense of like, okay, we're going to do this one and then we're going to do Pokemon red and then red is going to team up with Ash and then Ash, you know, I, I think that that's sort of a backward way of doing it. I think that when, if you look at Marvel, I don't think they knew if, if uh, I think they hoped that Iron Man would be the start of something really great, but ultimately you have to say that it was down to the brilliant writing in the first Iron Man movie and the brilliant performance by Robert Downey Jr. That this is a character that we want to spend time with. And I have to say, like, I want to spend more time with Tim Goodman. I think Justice Smith is a brilliant actor. The level of difficulty that he was faced with in, in acting authentically in this movie i i really don't think people understand how difficult what he did was and catherine um and of course you want to spend more time with 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 ryan reynolds harry goodman he's great you want to spend more time with detective pikachu and whatever form that that's going to take so right off so in my opinion you have these two characters that or three that were like okay we like these people we want to spend more time with them now 
maybe we go to a different region. Maybe we tell a completely different kind of story. Is it a heist? That's something that sort of interests me, you know, like, is there a, is there a crime story set in the Pokemon universe? Is there a different kind of movie that is a way in that maybe isn't exactly what we thought about? And of course, there's a traditional trainer battle movie that, you know, I think could, could easily be, be executed as well. But in my opinion, it's really getting down to these characters that that people are loving and want to see more of in an organic way that will enable this cinematic universe to actually take off rather than trying to sort of make a decision that this is going to be a cinematic universe, no matter what. And I think that we've all seen, you know, examples of that naming no names. Um, but it might have to do with the justice league <laughs> that, you know, I think that, that that's where we've seen like where, sort of go like backwards engineering, I think is not the right answer here. So I would say get whoever is going to write the next movie or movies and just say, write the best possible movie that you can in this world. And if those characters really pop and sing, people are going to want to see them together. Ultimately. That's my opinion. And I think that's a good one to have. And I think that just, uh, again, that illustrates the the kind of strength that you and uh, Benji and uh, the other writers brought to this. And then uh, director Robert Letterman really brought, uh, brought to something like this. So, uh, Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I really appreciate you kind of giving us a window into, uh, you know, Det- Detective Pikachu now uh, has has been on my mind for a day and a half straight. And I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I was I was in a GameStop. And I had just traded in a bunch of games I'm not taking with me to LA. And I made like, of course, 25 bucks off of like a whole stack of them. Yeah, I know. They they get you. They get you. Well, walking out, I saw a Psyduck plush for like $20. And I'm like, I can't believe I actually want to get that. So thank you for reinvigorating some of that, uh, that Pokemon adventure in me. Well, you know what? It's my pleasure. And like Tim Goodman, you're about to undertake a magical adventure in L.A. So, you know, give, give me a give me a holler when you get here and, and we'll see what we can do. And folks, every Monday you can find a new episode of the 1099 here. Uh, next week, we should have the developers behind Raji, a really cool uh, kind of action adventure game all the way from uh, Pune, India. So that's going to be a real interesting talk about what the industry is like there. And I hope you enjoyed that one, too. Dan, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was my absolute pleasure. I really appreciate it. This is one of my favorite interviews I've done so far. 